You are listening to The 1% Christian, the daily Bible study where we get together for 1% of our day. We study God's word and we head out to the remaining 99% to do something amazing with this life that he's given us. I am Pastor J.D. Ambrosio of Sound of Heaven Church in Deer Park, New York. Check us out at soh.church. Download our Sound of Heaven app. There's a free digital Bible and a lot of great resources on there. And if you're listening anywhere where you get your podcasts, leave a like, share, subscribe, turn on your notifications. We don't want you to miss anything as we continue through the Gospel of Matthew. So we are still in and will be for a little bit of time here. Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, possibly the most infamous sermon ever given. And uh, we are going through it uh, line by line here, really trying to break down what Jesus is trying to get across as he declares the kingdom. Remember, that's what they were beginning to understand, that there was something new that was happening. And the Sermon on the Mount, especially here in the beginning, the Beatitudes is showing people what it's going to be like. He's speaking to the disciples and telling them what it's going to be like to live and operate. Some of the characteristics uh, of those that will be dwelling in the kingdom of God and also some of the promises that come across that. And if you remember, it starts out with blessed are those. That word blessed is what? The Greek word makarios, it means happy. And it's an unattainable happy uh, in that language. Uh, But Jesus is showing that it is very attainable. It was meant only for gods, the dead, and those who were so rich that they could pay their way out of any problem. Uh, But Jesus is speaking to uh, commoners, fishermen, tax collectors, and showing them that it is possible to to get to a state of perpetual contentment and he is going to continue here. So we went through, we started with um, the first blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Poor in spirit being when we acknowledge that we really don't have any equity to bring to the table. We don't have much to give, uh, but uh, we have a full reliance on God. And although we don't have much to give, when we acknowledge that we are spiritually broke, spiritually bankrupt, God says the kingdom of heaven is yours anyway. And then he says, blessed are those who mourn, right? Who mourn deep grieving for they will be comforted. And this is every area from uh, the morning of a loss, the morning of, uh, you know, things that we yearn for and have yet to come to fruition. The morning of our sin, realizing that we do have our challenges and, and really dwelling on that. But what, what, and when I say dwelling, I'm not talking about beating ourselves up again, not feeling bad, but yet feeling and realizing that we are all broken to some extent. And when we realize that we are all broken to some extent, we can begin to treat one another a little bit better. And it says when we mourn for things like this, that we will be comforted. The Holy Spirit himself dwells inside of us. That Holy Spirit is meant to be a guide for us, but also a, a comforter. And at we, as we closed yesterday, we talked about blessed are the meek. 
the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. And you think about how awesome that is to be meek. You know, in this world, sometimes we think of meek and we think of weak. That's not the case. But when you are aligned with God and you realize that you're not all that and a bag of chips, when <laughs> you realize that you have issues of your own and everybody else is, is in part of the process, then we can start to be gentle with one another. And when we're gentle with one another, when we show restraint with one another, then God can trust us. He can trust us with the world. And I just love that we don't have to go out there and be nasty and conquer and destroy and go to war. But we can inherit the earth by being gentle like Jesus was gentle. Remember, he was the Messiah, but not the Messiah they were waiting for. They were waiting for a king like David that would come and lead an army and destroy their enemies. But Jesus came in a much, much different way. And that's becoming apparent to everybody that is listening here. So we continue on with some of the blessings here. And we follow up with verse 6 where it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And righteousness here is defined as uprightness, doing the right thing. And there's so many things that we can hunger for. But it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It says, For they will be filled. And when we desire the things for God, that's when we can be filled and fully satisfied. When we desire the things of this world, what do we do? We make it filled temporarily, but what happens is we're hungry again. When Jesus was standing at the well and when he was blessing the Samaritan woman and she takes off and the disciples come back to her. This is in uh, John uh, chapter 4. When they come back and they say, Lord, we have food. He says, "You have, <laughs> I have food that you know nothing about yet. Well, I have the living bread. The bread that will satisfy you. And that's really what we're looking for. We're looking for, we're looking to be satisfied. We're looking for uh, us to... Uh, fulfill the purpose in our life, to feel full. And when we put our trust in the things of this world, what happens is, is that it's, it's a temporary fix. But if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be filled. And Jesus is talking to a crowd and a culture that knew a lot about what it meant to be hungry. And we have hungry folks in our society. And we as the church need to step up and, and help that. But especially in Western culture, not many of us deal with hunger in the way that people did during that time, right? So to, to position uh, hunger and thirst, that was something that was very, very real to them, even with a, uh, a basically decent way of living, right? Um, so to put out there to hunger and thirst for righteousness, they, they knew what that meant. They knew what it was like for their stomach to grumble some of them and to be filled. And this next one, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. You think about everything that's been mentioned so far from the being poor in spirit, yet having access to the kingdom 
to being in mourning, but being comforted, being meek, yet inheriting the earth, being hungry and being filled. Everything that we've talked about thus far lends to the mercy of God, giving us something that we couldn't provide for ourselves, giving us something that we don't deserve necessarily by ourselves. And ten, that is mercy, right? Mercy is to show mercy on someone means that you could punish them. You could put them through more than you do. You, you hold back, you restrain, and God is a merciful God. So when we say, you know, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. If you go down this list so far, every single part of this list is a show of God's mercy for us, doing things for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. And there's a scripture that says that we love because he loved us first. He was the example of that in Jesus. But even prior to Jesus walking this earth as a physical human, God's mercy has endured for us forever. You know, he had every right to wipe us out in the garden and he didn't do it. So God's been merciful from the start. It didn't necessarily start with Jesus, but the full manifestation of God's mercy began to reveal itself through Jesus. Amen. Let's continue. So blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I think about the scripture too that says, by the same measure you give, it will come back to you, basically. When we show mercy to others, we find that the world around us is more merciful to us. And that is power. There is power in showing mercy. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And this is something that would be so bizarre to them. Now, in the Old Testament, it was believed in the, because it was through Moses. that Moses couldn't look at the face of God, right? Because it said he would, he would die. It was believed if you looked at God, if you got the pure look at God, that you would die. But it says here, Jesus says here, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And when we say purity, the Greeks would use that term, pure in heart. It meant to be straight on, to be, it meant clarity. Think about water. When water is pure, you can see right through it. It's very, very clear. But if there's pollutants and toxins and things in the water, then it won't be clear. It'll be foggy, maybe to the point where you can barely see. So God calls upon us to yearn for a pure heart. Now, how do we do that? Can we purify our heart ourselves? Yes, well, we can make, we can make decisions that would be more uh, pure, maybe more less toxic. But if you remember, John the Baptist said, I baptize with water for repentance. But there's one that comes that's going to baptize with fire. What does fire do when you put metal, gold, anything in it? Fire removes the impurities, 
we think of God as a punishing God. He's not a punishing God. He's a refining God. And if you trust him, that refiner's fire will purify you, purify your heart. That's why we're always talking about give your heart to God, lay your heart before God. And when we talk about the heart, I'm not just talking about that, that, uh, that organ in your chest there. I'm talking about your, your soul, your very inner being, the place where you tuck away everything that is about you to lay that before God and just let God purify that. Say that today. Say, say God, purify me today. So when we hunger and we thirst for righteousness, we will be filled. When we're merciful, we receive mercy back. When we are pure in heart, we get to see God. Because the all the things that can block us, all the pollutants and, and the way that we see with a pure heart, if we can come to God with a pure heart, we can see him. And not only see him face to face, but we could see him in everything. See him in the people around us. See him in the situations. Even times you could look back at things that happened in your life and you realize he was operating and working there, even if it was tough. Sometimes our own struggles are is part of that, that purifying fire, right? Scripture says that the trying of your faith produces patience. That's a refiner's fire. <laughs> and when patience has its perfect work, you become mature, you become strong, you become you to the point where you lack nothing. And we'll close out with this one today as we get to our 1% here. Verse 9, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And you think about the crowd hearing when the crowd heard Jesus say that you will see God, that must have been a shocking thing. But then he follows up and says, you could be called a child of God. And we hear that term all the time, you know, in Christian songs and, you know, in in sermons and all different, but I'm a child of God. But one of the most offensive things that Jesus said that really got the chief priests all riled up was he called God Abba, Father. They didn't look at God in the way of a father-son, father-daughter relationship. There was no room for that in the Old Covenant. But we have that now. And Jesus was the firstborn, right, of, of many brethren that was able to call God Father in that way. And Jesus was a peacemaker. If we need anything in the world today, it's peacemakers. If we need anything in the world today, it is merciful people, right? We deal with cancel culture. What about forgiveness culture? What about a culture where we look toward restoration, where we look toward reconciliation? Remember in 2 Corinthians 5, it talks about we are ministers of reconciliation. It's our job to first reconcile ourselves unto God and then let people, everyone else know that that is a possibility. And this all lines up with gentleness, seeking to do what is right, hungering for righteousness, being merciful with others, realizing our own spiritual bankruptness. That's a word. I think it is. And when we get in line in that way, we could walk into situations. And even when we see people devouring each other, and there's plenty of it here on social media, around everywhere you go, 
but to be that peacemaker, to be that representative of God, to try to find the common ground. I'm not saying compromise in things that are wrong, but I'm saying love people where they are and be that bridge between them and God, not a roadblock between them and God. And God wants to first establish that peace in you and then help you to establish that peace in others. And all everything that you need for that is already inside of you. You're already a peacemaker for him. It's just a matter of walking it out. Amen. So let's pray. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you for all of these blessings, Lord God. Help us to walk in these characteristics so that we can be blessed and so that we can be fulfilled in these areas and we can obtain the promises of being filled because we hunger for you, being shown mercy in our life, getting more than we deserve because we, and we give that in return to others to be pure in heart, Lord God, Father, just say, Father, remove every impurity from my life. Help me to see you clearly. And Father, help us to be peacemakers as we go out into this world today, to speak your words, to fill that gap for people, to be that bridge to you in Jesus' mighty name. I'm Pastor J.D. Ambrosio with Sound of Heaven Church. You're listening to the 1% Christian. We're going to continue with the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, tomorrow. Check us out at soh.church, and I will see you then. Love you guys.